Hopefully you'll turn with me in your Bibles, if you haven't yet, to the book of 1 Kings. If you don't have a Bible, just stick your hand up. We have some ushers uh, that are passing out Bibles right now, so you can follow along with us. We want to make sure they're available to you. Also, if you have your children here, uh, our children's worship will be starting up in um, September. So until then, we have some crayons and some uh, coloring pages for the kids. So if you need that, just stick your hand up, and these guys, gentlemen, will make sure that you get it. Uh, also, I was uh, reminded to tell you that small groups, if you're interested in small group, there's a, an insert in your bulletin. Uh, take that out and fill that out. It'll give your, your name, uh, your email address, and uh, if you have a small group you're involved with, or what day of the week, as well as what time works for you and your preferred location. So, uh, as well as indicate your child care, because uh, we want to make sure that we get everyone, as uh, you are able, to be connected into a small group with other believers, to be encouraged, to hear the word of God, and uh, we really heavily um, encourage you to do that. We are in, uh, coming to the conclusion of our series entitled Rhythm, and for this summer we have been looking at the, the concept of rhythm, and we have contrasted that with the, the concept of balance. And, I, and, and we hear people all the time, and perhaps you've been like me and you've said it. We're all trying to find balance in life because life is crazy. Uh, we are so crazy busy. Matter of fact, there's this new book that's coming out. It's called Crazy Busy because we are. We're crazy busy. We've got a million things going on at one time. Uh, we're going 100 miles an hour, and we, we find ourselves just completely drained. And for people that are... That, are, that the Word of God says has the peace of God, we don't look like and sound like peaceful people because we are exhausted three-quarters of the time. We always are saying, I'm so tired, I'm tired. And, and our life is just completely out of whack because we're trying to find this mythical attainment of balance where we have the, life is in held in tensions. But balance, as we've seen, doesn't work. Because it's really a myth, and it's unattainable. Because it means that life is static, it's stationary, and it can be just held completely like this all the time. Instead, we have to understand the biblical concept of rhythm. And rhythm is found throughout all of the pages of Scripture, and especially embedded in creation itself, where God made the, the days of creation. He made, I mean, he made the days, and he made the sun, and the night, and, and he had made people to sleep, and all of these different patterns and rhythms that we have that are natural to us. And then when we find those rhythms, that's where we really start to, to hum. When we get in rhythm with God. And when we get out of rhythm, that's when everything just goes apart. It's like watching a, a, a band, and when one instrument gets out of whack, it's just like a train wreck happening. You ever heard that? Where the band is playing, and the drums just start beating something different, and you're like, oh no. And, and you can hear it. Even people that don't know music very well stop and go, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> because it's all out of rhythm. And we need to be in rhythm with God. And we go and find rhythm through His Word. And we try to find, look into His Word and see how God desires us to live and how God desires us to order our life because He wants the entirety of our life placed under, under the umbrella of His Word. Now, we've, tried to, we've talked in the last several weeks about finding rhythm in your, um, in your walk with, your, with the Lord and your fight against temptation finding your rhythm in your marriage or in your parenting or in your work, in your witness, in your prayer life. Um, we're going to be talking today about how to find rhythm in your rest. Now that might sound strange, but rest is a very huge biblical concept. God created the heavens and the earth in how many days? Six. Some of you are going to say seven. He created them in six and did, did what on the seventh day? Rested. Did God need to rest? No. God is omniscient, he's, omnip he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's infinite, he's eternal, he's transcendent. He's everything in a lot of ways that we are not, that we cannot be. So he created this concept of rest for whom? Us. Us. That's why Jesus said, was the Sabbath, was, was man made for the Sabbath? No, Sabbath was made for man. It's for our benefit, for us to have rest. And we need to have rest. And rest is important in whatever we do in life. You see it in athletics, and you see it in music. Did you know that the notes in a, on a musical, or on a piece of paper, a score, the rest is extremely important? You've got all, because if you don't have rest, what do you have? Noise. You have noise. It's the rest that helps make the other things all fit together. 
So we need to have that rest, and it's the same is true for us. We're to work, and then we are to rest. Now, we see this concept, as we've said before, embedded on creation itself when God created the Sabbath day, that he worked in six and he rested on one. So we see this Sabbath concept played out for us, and, it, and we read later on, we've talked about this in the past in our uh, Set in Stone series, where that the purpose of the Sabbath was to point to our ultimate rest, which would be in Jesus. It was to point to our ultimate heavenly rest in him, as Hebrews 4, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about, that we'd find rest in that we don't have to work any longer to get to God, that Jesus Christ has paid the price for our redemption, and that through him we can have forgiveness of sins and rest. We don't have to work our way to God, that we can rest in him and have peace, shalom. And this shalom, this Old Testament word for peace, was not just a movement, uh, um, a removal of hostility. It was wholeness of life, peace, joy, a ceasing from striving internally to find our ultimate rest in Jesus. So until we enter that complete heavenly rest, because we have a rest right now, but there still remains a heavenly rest for us, we are to continually make sure that we are abiding in Christ, but putting our whole life, and one aspect of abiding is putting our entirety of our life under the umbrella of his lordship as we apply his word to our lives. And that means taking time to rest. Now today we're going to look at the uh, biblical character Elijah. And Elijah is a great and sterling example of what happens if we don't rest and what we are to do about it. And that's what we're going to look at today, is Elijah, his life, and there's many things we can learn, but today we're going to look and see Elijah's life and what happens after we continually strive and work and fail to take that necessary rest that we need. That's what we're going to look at today, but before we go any further, let's pause and ask God's blessing on our time together. Our Father and our God, we come into your presence knowing that we are but living dirt that if it weren't for your breath of life, we would be nothing. Lord, you have created us for yourself. And Lord, as your servant Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Lord, we seek to have our spiritual eternal rest in you. But Lord, help us enter into that earthly rest that your word word lays out for us, that we might have fullness of joy and experience the benefit of being in rhythm with you, that your name might receive glory. So be in our time today. If we have been working and going crazy and just feel so stressed out, Lord, I pray your peace upon the entirety of this body. I pray for your peace for those who are are listening in the future as they seek to understand your word and what it is that you have for them. But Lord, please use us to show your sovereignty and that you are Lord over our lives. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, we are on page 301. If you do have a pew Bible, we're going to jump right into our text and break it down. I want to lay out the uh, stage, or set the stage for you. Uh, Today's passage is about the prophet Elijah. He's known as the greatest prophet in the entirety of the Old Testament. And he just came off of one of the greatest battles and scenes in all of Scripture. Uh, If you remember it, he had just gone through this period of drought. Actually, the whole nation had gone through this period of drought, which had been sent directly by God himself because the people had turned from God. They had turned away from the truth of who God is, and they started embracing idols and false gods in the land. And he's in what's known as the northern kingdom of Israel. And they are under the leadership of the wicked king Ahab and his wife, the more wicked Jezebel, who was the daughter of one of, this, one of the biggest devotees of this pagan fertility cult of this storm god named Baal. And she was leading all of the people away from worshiping the one true god to worship this false god. And God sends his prophets to get their attention. But of course... Just like the nation of Israel, and, or they're just like us, we're pretty stubborn people. 
So God sends a drought to really wake everybody up, and he tells Elijah to go out into the desert and wait out this thing for a period of time. So he goes out into the desert, and, and I can't imagine Elijah and what he was seeing. I mean, first of all, God had commanded the ravens to bring him food. So these birds are bringing him food day in and day out. He's drinking from the brook Cherith, but slowly the river begins to dissipate dry up, and then it becomes completely cracked. And he's living with this widow, and, and, and she's, you know, even before he had, the, the drought had occurred, he was dealing with her because the, actually the drought was going on, and, and she was getting ready to die. And, and he had seen her just taking, uh, by faith, she's pouring out flour, and she's pouring out oil, and, and all of these things are appearing because God is making it multiply, and, and God is doing wonderful things through Elijah and supplying her needs, and he's seeing the ravens come to him day after day, and finally, God leads him to have a showdown with the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal. And so they go on top of Mount Carmel, and he lays out the rules of the challenge. He says, you prepare a sacrifice and the call on the name of your Lord, and I'm going to prepare a sacrifice, I'm going to call on the name of mine, and the God who answers by fire is God. You like those rules? We like those rules, Elijah. Let's do this. We're tired of hearing you. You've been an incessant noise in our ear, Elijah. Now we're going to show you that Baal really is God. So they prepare their sacrifice, and they start calling on the name of their God for six hours, from morning until the, the noon sacrifice. They're calling on Baal. God, hear us! Baal, hear us! And they're dancing around, and they even start cutting themselves, trying to get Baal's attention. And blood's just flowing, and they're getting tired. And that's where Elijah starts to taunt. I mean, he's like talking serious trash. He really is. He's like, ha, 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 maybe God is on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Where's he at? And he actually says that. That's actually in the text, by the way. And he's taunting them. And, and finally, taunts are done, and he says, come near to me. So he prepares the sacrifice. He rebuilds the altar. He digs a trench around it. And then he has the servants pour gallons of water over this trench. And over the sacrifice. And he does this three times till it's just overflowing. It's overflowed from the altar. It's gone out over the edge of the trench. It's going everywhere. And, and remember, water is a very precious commodity right now. And, I mean, what are the odds of this thing lighting on fire if it's wet? You ever tried to light some sticks on, fi on fire? It doesn't work. Unless you just douse it with gasoline, it doesn't work. And he, he's, he's just doing it with water. He, he calls on the name of God and then... <laughs> And everybody stops and falls on their knees and says, The Lord, the Lord is God. And he commands the 450 prophets of Baal to be killed because they led the people astray. It was very serious business. And then he goes on top of the mount and he starts to pray. And for three and a half years, he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And now he prays that it would rain. He gets down on his knees, puts his head actually down between his legs, and he prays. And he's got the servant with him. And he says, Go off in the horizon where the rain would come and uh, probably from the ocean. He goes, go check and see if it's, it's getting ready to rain. The servant comes back. It's not raining, just dust. He goes, go do it again. Guy goes back, comes back again. There's no rain. No rain. What do you want me to do now? Go back again. Okay. <laughs> he does it how many times? Seven times. Seven times. And finally, seventh time he gets there and he goes, Hey, hey, and he runs back, Elijah, Elijah, it's going to rain, and it's coming fast. And Elijah gets up, tucks in his belt, he goes down to Ahab, wicked king Ahab, and he goes, you better get home. Storm's coming. Storm's coming. So he, he takes off, he beats, beats him back, and, and he's, he's kind of, I mean, can you imagine just the, the euphoria he's feeling after all these years of drought and seeing the rain come? And I mean, God is answering your prayer. God had supplied, you'd seen God supply the needs of this widow and her son. You'd seen God give, the, the ravens are sending the food to him day in and day out. God answers him by fire, and then God brings the rain. And then he hears from Jezebel. Now look, look back what Jezebel says to him, and I want us to really see his reaction. Look at verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. He's just basking in this. 
So he's at the entrance of Jezreel, as chapter 18 lays out for us, the end of chapter 18. And this messenger comes to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, what would you do at this moment in time? This woman just threatens you. You just defeated 450 prophets. You'd seen the fire and the rain, and you'd seen great supply. Are you going to be threatened by this lady? Is he? Look at the text. So he was afraid. He was afraid. He's, he's terrified. Now, I think that what was happening is that he had just been on such, he'd been working so hard, he'd been so emotionally involved in this, that he'd won, and he's, he's just going through, but he, he hadn't gotten any sleep yet. He hadn't, he hadn't rested. He's been going full bore. For, I mean, really for three and a half years, but especially for the last few days. And he hasn't even, he hasn't, he hasn't rested, he hasn't done anything. And what happens when you need rest? Are your difficulties and your problems magnified? I mean, where do we see this played out real easy? With children. Kids, right? I, 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 we treat kids sometimes, we, kids just are magnified adults in some ways. Stuff that happens to us, they experience and they see it, and we just see it played out on a larger scale with them. And we're like, go get your shoes on. I don't want to. It's so hard. And we're like, did you eat anything? No. You know, something like that. Or when's I, and we have to know as parents, they need some sleep. I remember my daughter, uh, Mariah, we went on a walk with her. And, and uh, we, were, we were walking with the stroller. And, and she wanted a drink. And we didn't have any. We were like two blocks away from the house, just walking. And she, she was really small. How old was she? Three years old. And she wanted a drink, and she just starts crying out. And we're like, we're going to get a drink in just a minute. Ah! And she would not stop crying. It was like a fire alarm. We're just going down this street, and they're like, is there, people are looking out the window, is there a police car outside? Is there an ambulance? And we could not quiet her down, no matter what, even when we got in the house. We're like, I mean, I'm like, calm down. And I'm being the authoritarian dad. I'm like, calm down, listen, then I'll give you water right? And it's not working. And finally, I'm just getting ready to take that thing from the, 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 the kitchen sink and the hose and just, y'all good? You know, I didn't do that, by the way. Okay. Um, but we wanted, to, we realized that kids really do need rest and eat properly, right? And do you think that changes when we're adults? You can only live on Red Bull so long, folks. Okay. You can only have, you know, a double calf for a little while and then you start seeing things. <laughs> Why? Because we need rest. We need rest. Now, what happens if we don't get rest the way that God has designed it? Here's the first point. We're going to experience great heartache. Experience great heartache. We're gonna, we're gonna, everything's going to be magnified. All of the pains and problems that we're dealing with. They're going to be magnified. Experience this overwhelming heartache. That's what Elijah did. I mean, he is, he's afraid I'm going to die. She threatened me. Not thinking... God took care of the prophets, 450 of them, and he took care of the widow, and he took care of the fire and the rain, and yet, oh no, I can't deal with this. So what's he do? What's he do? He runs away, right? He retreats in fear. See, that's what happens when we have this, this great heartache. This heartache can lead and cause us to retreat in fear. See, how many of us, when we have to deal with the situation in our life, whether it's with our spouse, whether it's with our children, whether it's with our boss or our teacher or uh, just a situation we find ourselves, what do we want to do? We want to we retreat. We want to run away in fear. Now, notice what else Elijah does in verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah. Now, he was in the northern kingdom. He's now in the southern kingdom. And he left his servant there. And then verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Now, I want us to go back and look at verse 5. Why did he leave his servant there? Why? You ever thought of that? Why does he leave that servant behind? And I believe that he just didn't want to deal with it anymore. He retreated in fear, and then what he does is he withdraws from fellowship. See, that's what happens when we start getting really tired and we start wanting to give in to sin, and then the first thing that happens is with, we withdraw from fellowship with other believers. Pity party, party of one. Please. And we just want to be in our disgust and in our 
our sorrow by ourselves. We don't want to be around people. And that's why it's so important for us to be in fellowship with other believers, to encourage us, to let them speak into our lives, and to help us in this journey of life. It's so important that we have that. But he leaves his servant behind, and he withdraws completely from fellowship. Now, look what else also he does. He went into a day's journey, verse 4, into the wilderness, and came and sat down, down under a broom tree, and asked that he might do what? Die. He asked that he might die. Now, that sounds strange to me. But he's getting now, like, he's like, I don't want to commit suicide. God, just, just kill me, please. Just kill me. I know sometimes that thought goes through our, our minds, many of us. We've had those thoughts where everything is magnified around us. Let me say, don't, don't do that, by the way. Suicide is a permanent answer to a temporary problem. It's a permanent answer to a temporary problem. Don't do it. See, Elijah praises that he might die. He is, in essence, wavering in faith. See, that's what happens. We waver in faith when we get tired because our vision of God is affected. And it's not that God has changed. It's that we ourselves have changed, and we begin to waver and wonder if God is real. If God is real, why didn't you help me through this? Well, look back in the rearview mirror there, Elijah. God did help you, and he's not going to desert you now. And what is Jesus making this promise to us? Behold, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He's not leaving us. He's not leaving you right now. He's not. God has a tendency to lead us into situations where we have to go beyond ourselves so that we can rely on Him and not on us. That's what happens. We have to remember that Jesus is there in the middle of it. When those storms of life are going, going around, on around us, it's just like when the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee and the storm's coming in and they're freaking out, the water's coming in, it's like the perfect storm. They're like, we're going to die. Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. He wakes up a little groggy, stands up and goes, peace be still. And then the whole thing goes calm. And they're like, oh, snap. Who is this? Is this Jesus. See, Jesus says that he speaks to us in the midst of the storm. But see here, Elijah, he's not having any rest, so he starts wavering in faith. And then look what else he does. He says, it is enough now, O Lord. I'm done. I'm tired of fighting this fight. I'm tired of the moral compromise that's going on around me. I'm tired of seeing people that used to once walk with you, no longer walking with you. I'm tired of fighting this battle and these pagan prophets, and no matter what I do, they keep coming back. They're like spiritual cockroaches. I think I got them away, and they're still there. I'm tired of this fight. I am tired. I want to give up. And he says, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Now, Elijah is known as the greatest prophet to have ever lived. Was he better than his father's? You better believe it. But see, what happens is, is when we get really tired, we start to rationalize worthless feelings. We rationalize worthless feelings. God can't use me. I've done too much. I'm so far behind. I, I can't do this anymore, God. You know, part of the Christian life is putting one foot in front of the other. We have mountain, mountaintop experiences like he had on Mount Carmel, but most often, it's the day-to-day, week-week, month-month, year-year, and just time. Because it's easy to make a big show and a flash in the pan, but it's really hard to keep doing it for years and years. But see, he, he's having these worthless feelings, and we get really tired like that. We do. We start to rationalize our feelings. God, you can't use me. I'm too bad. You, I, I, I keep messing up. And it's magnified. And he, we rationalize these worthless feelings. And then what do we do? Last of all, he says, he goes, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he thought he's going to die. And, other, and here's what he's doing. He's giving up the fight. And that's what we have to do. We have a tendency to want to give up the fight. We don't want to fight anymore. We don't want to fight. We just want to give in. And, and we still have time left on the clock. It's like the, um, the baseball player Bob Feller. He's a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. When he got his major league debut, he was 17 years old, still in high school, okay? He, he was playing, um, playing for the Cleveland Indians, and he makes his major league debut against the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And he was so fast that people just couldn't, they, they couldn't even get the bat around. And one of them, Leo DeRocher, who was a very interesting spokesperson himself, the grizzly old veteran, gets up, and the pitch just boom, flies by. And he didn't even get a chance to swing. 
And the second pitch comes by. And DeRocher just stops and starts walking back to the dugout. And somebody calls to him and says, hey, Leo, you only got two strikes. He's like, it's all right. I can't use the next one anyway. Because uh, Bob Feller has the second fastest recorded pitch on history, 107.6 miles per hour. That's fast. But see, most of us, we're so intimidated by it, we think we can never do it. And rather than stay in the box in life and take that swing, we just give up and say it's done. See, there's still another strike. There's still, another t- there's still more time. See, Christ gave us more time. Because we have a living hope in him. That's where our hope is. And it's not based on our performance. It's based on what he's already done. Remember, we're not trying to fight for victory. We're fighting from a position of victory. That he's already achieved that victory. We need to enter into it. And what he has already done. So we need to make sure that we're not rationalizing those worthless feelings and giving up the fight. Instead, we must do this. Accept God's help. We must accept God's help. We lay down, we pour out our heart to him, and then we accept God's help. Look at verse 5. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, what did he say? Did he say, pray more? Read the Bible more. You need to do some spiritual. You need, to, you need to get back in church. You need to get back to synagogue. What's he say? Arise and eat. Now, what I want us to understand right here is that there is, we need to understand the physical-spiritual connection. The physical and spiritual connection. And here's what I mean by that. Um, and we get, I often hear saints get this very, very confused. See, did you know that our physical, our physical in, um, infirmities can affect our spiritual outlook and vice versa? For example... If you have, like, a, a, a someone might have a, a tumor on the brain, and it's affecting how they think and act, and, and people say, oh, you have something, some sin in your life, that's why you're all depressed right now. Now, is the answer for them to pray more or go to the Word more? They need to go to a doctor. That's medically, okay? So there are certain things that can affect us, that might be wrong with us, physically, and that may affect us spiritually, and the solution for that is found medically. But, there's another concept. There is something that we can do spiritually that can affect us physically, and then the solution for that is found biblically. Now, I want us, here's, here's what I want us to do and see this right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the Apostle Paul writing about uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper, and he lays out something that happens here. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of uh, concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, he's saying that, first of all, this is for believers. They need to examine themselves before they partake of communion. And he says here, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner without doing introspection on themselves by confessing their sin, if they're holding on to their sin and they're, they're not really repentant of it, so God then will bring judgment on their life directly. And he says, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread, drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. But if we are judged, if we judge ourselves truly, be honest. Honest and open with God. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. See, there's a principle there. Which means then, something was wrong with you spiritually that manifested itself physically. Then you need to go back to the Word of God and make the necessary changes with God. But there's other things that are physical ailments that affect us spiritually, and those aren't things that we need to be getting counsel for. Those are things that we need to be getting medical help for. You see the principle? I hope so. Because there's a definite connection that's here. Now, Elijah, and, and he is, he is uh, having a physical problem that is affecting his spiritual outlook. And it is easily solved in a, in, in a couple of different ways right here. First of all, we need to see 
Um, actually, we see that the embracing the Sabbath principle, the, imper- per- the importance of it. Now, actually, the text doesn't address that, but we see that in ourselves and God laying that out for us, that we are to work six and rest one. Now, we know that the Sabbath was actually on Saturday, and when Jesus rose on the first day of the week, that became the Lord's Day. So we don't observe the Sabbath because it never changed days. This became known as the Lord's Day. And while um, we don't observe the Sabbath in that regard, we still are to work six and rest one and follow the biblical principle that is embedded in creation. And we see this concept of rest that is made there for us. And it's so important to have that time of rest. Uh, Tony Evans tells the story of two lumberjacks who were competing against one another. And they they were to see who could chop down the most trees in a day. One lumberjack was quite a a young guy, and the other was an experienced older guy. And the day of the competition, the young guy jumped up on the tree, and first thing, he went eight hours straight with just chopping trees down. At the end of the day, he had chopped down 25 trees. Now, he knew that the older gentleman wouldn't be able to compete. The young guy knew he was young and had more strength. In addition, the young lumberjack thought back on the day, and he remembered that every hour or so, the older man had taken a 10-minute break. So he was pretty assured of his win because he hadn't taken any breaks. At the end of the day, he had done his 25 trees, only to discover that the older, older man had done 40. He'd done 40. So he went up to the older man in shock, and he said, How is it possible, old man? I didn't stop. You stopped every hour for 10 minutes. The old man said, yeah, yeah, I understand your question. You were working hard, you were sweating, you were grunting, and you were groaning. Uh, But every hour, I sat down for 10 minutes. And every time I did, I did two things. He said, first of all, I recovered. Secondly, I sharpened my axe. You were working hard, but you were working with dull equipment. See, there's a concept there of Sabbath rest, that we all need that rest to recover, to do more in in the time that we have. But in our world today, it says, you know, there is no unconcept of holy time. We just work all the time. But God says, no, rest. Sharpen yourself, and then let me take care of the rest. Now, so, so we see that that concept is there for us, not so much for Elijah there in the text, but we see that it's there for us. For Elijah, we see something else. Look at verse 5. He was to, he says, arise and eat. So in other words, this is what he did. The most spiritual thing he could do was catch up on sleep. <laughs> catch up on sleep. How many of us are really good after a nap? You all good with a nap? I'm great with a nap. But I remember hearing some people saying, naps are just wrong. I'm like, I don't think so. Sometimes we just need to catch up on sleep. The most spiritual thing we can do is catch up on sleep. Now, the next... Uh, um, I mean, we see that actually in Scripture. Psalm 127, verse 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. Now, the purpose of this is you can try all you want, you can work as hard as you want, you can do all this stuff, but if God's not behind it, it doesn't matter. God gives sleep. And why do you, do you ever wonder why he, God gave sleep? You ever wondered that? He gave it for several reasons, but two of the most obvious are to remind us that we aren't God and to remind us that he is. <laughs> Those are pretty obvious. We can't do it all ourselves all the time. We need that rest that God has laid out for us. Now, here's one of the other most spiritual things that you can do, is get the proper sustenance. What does he say? Arise and eat. Manja. That's what we say around our house. My wife's Italian. Manja, manja. It's good to eat. I know that. It is. It's good to have a good meal. How many of you feel empowered after you had a good meal? Good. You know, I I think we all do. We all feel great after a good meal. You know, you have that home-cooked meal. You ever had one of those? They'd just lay it out for you. I, I, I used to love driving down to my folks' house when Melissa and I were newly married. And my mom, I'd be on the phone with my mom, and she'd say, what do you guys want to eat? What does Melissa want? And I'd say, Melissa, what do you want? She goes, whatever your mom wants to make. And i go, hey, Mom, Melissa wants prime rib with baked potato. You know? That's good food. And it, it, it helps us. We need proper sustenance. 
we need to eat well and right. Now, notice what the angel says in verse 7. Arise and eat, for this journey is too great for you. The angel knows that, that Elijah's on a journey. Now, either Elijah was either, I mean, I think Elijah really didn't know he was on a journey yet. I think he was just, he wanted to die right there. He was done. But the angel says, no, you still have, you have a journey that you need to go on. And you need to get up, and you need to eat, and then you need to do what again? Go back to sleep. He needs more sleep. He needs rest. Now, I remember being a teenager on sports teams, and our coach would say, you don't need rest. He'd say, I mean, we'd be, we'd be football practice, and we'd be just sweating, and they'd say, you don't need water. Water's a sign of weakness. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Coach, don't do that to your players, Gary. Don't do that. All right? Because we do. We have a tendency to do that. We, that's what I was taught when I was a kid. It's like, this is a sign of weakness. No, it's not. It's smart. It's what God has laid out for us. Sometimes we just need to get catch up on some sleep and get proper sustenance. Now, look at verse 7. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And go into verse 8. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Where was he going? He was going to God. See, he knew even after he had given up, he got a little bit more perspective, get some rest. He still haven't solved all of his issues but he needs to go on now to God. And there's a principle there. When we're really struggling like that, we need to run to the Savior. We need to run to the Savior. And I guarantee, no matter where you've been and what you have done, that if you have a repentant heart and you are running back to God, you're going to find something that he's running to you. I love the principle, the, the, the story of the, the prodigal son. As he's coming back to his father, he sees his father running to him. He was the one that was wrong. He'd done everything wrong, but the Father is running to him because God longs to embrace those who had been in rebellion that are repentant. That's why it says in the Scriptures that, that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and turns back to God. We've got to run to the Savior, and we'll see and discover that he is already running to us. That's why the scripture says that we are to go to God, and it says it in so many different ways in different scriptures. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. He's saying that you need to go to God. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. If you come to God honestly, seeking his face, he will honor and bless you. Here's another one. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Run to God. Go to the Lord. Or perhaps one of the greatest ones is Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So it's not when we got it all good. God delights when we come to him when we are in trouble. Now, don't let that be the only time that you come to him. But he's there, ready for us when we are in trouble. Or James chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You. So we need to make sure that we are running to the Savior. Now, what does this do for us, this type of rest? How does this help us get through life? This type of rest gives us renewed hope. We all need hope. Do we not? Every single one of us do. See, that's what, you know, that's what each politician sells when it's election time? Hope. I mean, that's what every sports fan wants. If you're a Cubs fan, you live on hope. Right? It's football season right now. Had the Bears preseason on Friday night. I've been reading some of the sports stuff. And every year during this time, I swallow the hope pill. I think the Bears are going to be good. We're going to have a great offense this year. The problem is, reality never reaches up to the hope. <laughs> and they're bad. Right? So, I mean, but here, with God, though, and his word, this is a hope that doesn't disappoint. This is a hope that matches the promise that's presented to us. 
So this is a renewed hope that will be delivered. Now, this hope gives us new power for the challenges ahead. Whatever you're facing right now, when you can come to God and lay it out before him, you're going to find yourself transformed. And God's going to give you the power of his spirit to meet the challenges that you have ahead. It's amazing. That's why Elijah does what? He eats and drinks, and then he goes on for how many days on that food? Forty days. That's supernatural. God is giving him strength to meet the challenges that he has in front of us. And that's what he'll do for you. When you come before him, when you lay out your heart, when you are being honest with him about your struggles and what you're dealing with, and you're following his word, and you just pour out your heart, you're going to find that's when God speaks into you. God has a tendency not to fill the tank right before it's empty. That's what he likes to do. He likes to come in and show himself to be completely sovereign. He's going to give you hope in the midst of your situation, and he's going to give you power to meet the challenges that you have ahead and that you're facing through your week, in your marriage, in your workplace, whatever you're doing. He's going to give you that hope and power to meet the challenges ahead. And then he's also going to give you a passion or a renewed passion for communion with him. A passion for renewed communion with him. See, Elijah, even after he had just gotten that nap and food, he needed to commune with God. He needed the blessing of God. Now, many of us have a tendency to want to stay away from God because we're afraid of what he's going to say to us. We're fearful of what he's going to lead us to. You know, we've talked about this before. It's like the driver's ed car. You remember being a driver's ed? Now they have the two steering wheels and the brakes. And we're saying, we're saying, God, we put God in the driver's seat, but we maintain that little wheel on the side. And then God starts taking us someplace we're not. We put on the brake and say, no, I want to go this way. And we try to drive that car the other way rather than say, I'm going to let you go, God. This is a really wild ride, but I'm going to trust you. Instead, we don't. We just put on the brake and we're turning. We try to turn away from where God's leading us. See, God, we have to submit and surrender ourselves to God. And when we do, we're going to see that he gives us a renewed passion for him. He will give us a passion for himself. Now, look what else he gives us. Verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And, and God says to him, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now you wonder, what was Elijah doing during that time? Keep reading. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I can't imagine being him in that cave. And you, you hear all of this commotion going on outside. And he doesn't run to go see what it is. He stays there. And finally, after all of those things passes, he hears the whisper of God, and then he wraps his face, and he goes out. Do you know why? It's because when we pour ourselves out before God, when we lay out everything before him, we run to him, God gives us peace in the craziest conditions. He gives us peace. He speaks peace in the craziest conditions that we could possibly find ourselves. And that's what it was for Elijah. You've got an earthquake. I mean, you've got, you've got just thunder and all this stuff going on outside and this wind, and it's just chaotic. And Elijah has peace to enough to walk out and then hear just the whisper wasn't through all the, cra the craziness. He had peace, not hearing God in all those big things and the calamitous events, but just hearing the whisper of God because God gives him a peace in the midst of crazy conditions. You might find yourself in a really crazy condition right now. Jesus wants to speak peace into it. 
whether it's a medical condition, a report that you just might have found out or your spouse has, or perhaps it's a financial issue that you're going through right now. Maybe you've, you've just heard something from the doctor uh, about your spouse, or perhaps it's a relational issue that you're going through. Maybe your spouse said to you, I'm done with the marriage. Maybe your, your boss said, we're going to have to let you go. He's there to speak peace in the midst of your situation. That's what God delights in doing, a peace that transcends all understanding. It was then God speaks to him in a whisper and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah then poured out his heart. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars. They've totally abandoned you, God. They've even gone so far as killing your prophets who have testified about the glory of your name. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, God, I, I love that fact where God says, what are you doing here? See, God wants to hear from you. Sometimes we think our problems are too small for God. Let me tell you something. Even your big problems are small to God. Your big problems are still small to him. And we think that we don't want to burden God with our problems. It's not a burden. It's a delight. He delights in communicating with you about all that you're dealing with, about all that you're struggling with. And Elijah's pouring out his heart. And it's when we pour out our heart that God really begins to speak into our lives. And that's exactly what has occurred right here. He is giving him an entirely new perspective on his circumstances. That's what God does. After we speak out what we're dealing with, then he gives us his perspective on our circumstances that reorients us. Verse 15, go return in your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Yehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mohla, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And he's laying out what he's going to do, saying, you're not alone. I'm going to bring my purpose to pass, and you don't need to worry about it because I've got it taken care of. See, we have a tendency to try to fight God's battles for him. We do that all the time in the media. Did you know this past week, Russell Moore, um, uh, he uh, speaks a lot about Christ and culture and in, in the world. He says, we have lost as Christians the cultural battle. And he says, that's a good thing. So now we don't have to worry about trying to save the culture. We can just try to save people focus on presenting the good news of Jesus. See, we're so busy trying to fight sometimes God's battles, that God wants this. Realize that, do you think God is not threatened by that? I mean, that God is threatened? He's not threatened. See, we have to make sure that we're not taking the place of God. We are to be um, testimonial. I mean, salt and light in the world, light's in the midst of the dark place, but we can't fight God's battles for him. We need to realize that God is is sufficient to take care of himself, but he does use us testify to the glory of his name in a lot of different situations to battle for him in some ways but we must make sure that we're not doing we're not taking god um, away from the battle and making the battle our own it's a little different so we need to make sure that we're trusting and resting in the lord because when we go to god and we pour out our hearts before him he starts to change us and he gives us a, a renewed purpose to carry out see elijah was to rise and anoint his successor. God will give you a new purpose in the midst of that that crazy circumstance that you're going through. That's what he did for Elijah. He'll give you a new responsibility, a new thing to do that he has for you. And he'll also give you a, a renewed promise to cling to. A new promise to cling to. And that's why he says here in verse 18, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. That I've got people... And I'm going to bring those people to accomplish my purpose. I've got it taken care of, Elijah. Hold on to that promise. And we have to hold on to it as if our lives depended on it, because it really does. I'm reminded, uh, in my family, we get together. We don't talk about family members. We talk about dogs. I don't know why we do this, but we do. And it's the same stories of the same dogs for the last 40 years. And I know, I feel like there were dogs that I never saw, like I knew them. <laughs> and there's a story that my, my grandfather tells of this dog that they used to have, and he loved this dog. And this dog was a scrapper, is what my grandfather says. He was a fighter. 
And he says, we were down by the river. <laughs> Sounds bad. We're down by the river. But that's my family. And they're down by the river. And he said, there was another dog that was there that was younger than him. And they got into a, a fight. And the older dog had been a great fighter, but he's getting old. He's getting slower, and his teeth are starting to file down. And he's getting, as my grandfather says, whooped by the other dog. So this older dog, though, was older and wiser. So he grabs on to the younger dog's throat. And then he starts to drag the younger dog into the water, drowning him, keeping his nose above the water. And he wasn't going to let go of that dog because he knew his life depended on it. They had to separate him. And then the dogs are fine. But there's a, there's a, there's a principle in there. See, we have to hold on and not let go to the promises of God because our life depends on it. we got to hold on and not let go to the promises that God has laid out in His Word. It means doing what He has us to do. That means following His Word in all of its entirety as we apply it to our lives, as we proclaim His truth to a lost and dying world. So, we see that we have... God has laid before us to find rhythm in a lot of different parts of our life, but finding it in our rest. And that rest, this physical rest that we can have, points to the ultimate spiritual rest that we have in Christ. That we have peace with God, peace with men, and peace within ourselves. And we can only enter into that true, abiding, everlasting rest when we surrender ourselves and believe in Jesus as Lord. Surrender ourselves to Him receive Him as Lord and Savior of our lives, and then we are saved. And we enter into a spiritual rest, and then we're to take our life and place it and make sure that we're doing those things of physical rest. We might experience the joy of knowing Him and doing what He has called us to do, and that is to testify to His greatness with our words and our lives that He is God and that He loves us. Let's close our message time with a word of prayer. Father, I pray for each person here today, Lord, that they might find that rest. Whether it means surrendering to you, first of all, as Lord and Savior, I pray they might do so right now. Or if it's someone else who has just been working like crazy, I pray that they might take that day off and they might run to you. Lord, I pray that they might just put away their phone or put away that work project and and Lord, though they feel like everything depends on them, Lord, show by the reality of your word and your presence by your spirit that you alone are God. And give us those, those tangible reminders day in and day out that you are God and we are not. Lord, please draw us unto yourself and use our physical rest to help point other people to the spiritual rest that they can have in and through Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for our sins. Lord, please use us. Help us not to be too busy. Help us to, to believe the truths and the promises in your word and cling to them. In your name, I might receive praise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.